A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. The word of the Lord. Good morning, all of you. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, as was shared, my name is uh, Jason Polk, and it's really a joy to be here and to open God's Word together as we do that. Um, let me pray for us, and then we're going to uh, begin looking at God's Word together. Holy God, we thank you and praise you. You are merciful and gracious and holy. We pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to receive from your word this morning whatever it is that you would desire us to see and hear. We look to you, we place our hope in you, and we commit this time to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Was was shared. Um, my family, uh, my wife Liz and our four kids, uh, live in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, uh, on the eastern side in the Horn of Africa, and we've lived there for about 10 years. And so uh, as we go through our sermon, I'll hopefully be able to uh, share a few glimpses or a few stories of things from our life and our ministry there. And then I think after the service, we'll have, uh, for those who are able to stay, a longer time where we can share and show a few pictures and help you uh, envision a bit. I think we, oh, there it is. A vision a bit of, of um, yeah, our life and ministry in Ethiopia, so I invite you to do that. Uh, we're going to be looking, as was read from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at, starting in verse 12, 
and going down through verse 25. And uh, as we do that, we've already heard, we're going to hear about uh, fishermen. The section in the middle that was read, Jesus and the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I don't know about any of you, I enjoy fishing. Uh, I enjoy trout fishing especially. My, uh, my stepdad taught me how to trout fish at a very basic level when I was in high school. And so from time to time, whenever we get the chance, I like to go do that. Maybe some of you enjoy fishing, uh, but uh, that is not the kind of fishing we're talking about here, okay? The no sport fishing shows, you know, where you're in the bass boat, nothing like that. This kind of fishing that we're going to look at here is more like the, the dangerous catch reality show, you know, the crab fishermen out in the Bering Sea, or um, if you've seen the movie The Perfect Storm, you know, and the, going out for the swordfish fishing and the big storm comes and... Uh, these kind of fishermen, right, are, are people who have grown up learning from their fathers and their grandfathers the way of the water. These are men who, uh, they know the smell of salt in the air. They know the smell of fish in the air. These are men who are as comfortable walking on a boat, maybe more comfortable walking on a boat than they are on, on the land sometimes. These are men whose, whose very heart and blood pumps with being on boats and throwing out nets and gathering up fish to take a catch. That's the kind of fishermen we learn about here. And we see something really bizarre happen, right? Which is that these fishermen, these multi-generational fishermen in a kinship culture, see this strange Jewish rabbi walking down the shore who says, hey, follow me. And they do it. They leave their boats. They leave their nets. They leave their father in the boat, right? He's like, they're with all the nets. What am I supposed to do with all these nets? And they follow Jesus. That's bizarre if, if you take it at face value. I've always thought it was bizarre. I was like, did they see like a twinkle in Jesus's eye? Or like, what did they experience it caused them to leave these things behind and begin to follow this Jewish teacher. Well, we're going to look at that. But as we do that, we need to back up a bit and see how the passage begins in verse 12. Um, now when he, Jesus, now when Jesus heard that John, this is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, if we were reading a novel, that may or may not be an important detail, right? In our, in our modern sensibilities about novels and literature, they have all kinds of details in there. It just helps us to imagine it, see the picture, um, you know, words describing a character, describing a room and what it looked like and what was in the room. Biblical writers don't do that. They're not modern literary figures. They're ancient writers. And they had very different sensibilities about the kind of details they shared, which usually means that when they share a detail, it's for a reason. It's not just background. It's not just so you can picture it. They're, they're sharing that detail because they have a purpose, a very clear purpose in what they're wanting to say. And so when the author of the Gospel of Matthew says, Jesus heard that John the Baptist, his cousin, had been arrested. Why? 
We'll find out later in the gospel, but it's because John was challenging Herod Antipas, the ruler over Galilee, was challenging him about his marriage. He had encouraged the wife of his brother and to get divorced so that he could marry his sister-in-law, basically. And John the Baptist says, yeah, uh, that doesn't work. In our, in our Jewish society, in our biblical understanding of the Torah and the way things are supposed to happen, that, that makes you an illegitimate ruler. And John the Baptist is challenging them in a very direct way. And so Herod, this Herod, puts John the Baptist in jail. And so Jesus, when he hears this, this leads him to withdraw into Galilee. Um, why does he do that? To Galilee. Um, is it because he's afraid? Is it because he's scared? Is he a coward? Um, no, we see many places in the Gospels where Jesus uh, openly exposes himself before the authorities and basically says, bring it. You know, you, you, you want me? Here I am. He's not a coward. So why does he withdraw here? Well, Jesus is not a coward, but as, as we say, mama didn't raise no dummy, right? He's smart. He's wise. He's discerning. And he recognizes that there's possibility of having too much attention too early in his ministry in a way that would hinder him, in a way that would keep him from being to move freely and teach and call disciples. And so wisely, he says, I don't want too much attention right now. I'm going to withdraw into Galilee, which is like the backwater, right, of, of the land of Israel. Less attention, less focus. And so he does so. But interestingly, he doesn't go to Nazareth, which is the village he's from. He goes to Capernaum which is a little further to the east, right on the Sea of, of Galilee. And interestingly, it's right on the border. It's right on the boundary between Galilee and these other regions, which are more predominantly Gentile, other non-Israelites non or non-Jewish people. And again, now we see the point that Matthew's trying to make here. He's not just saying, yeah, Jesus hit the road and he went from one village to the next. He's saying, Jesus, triggered by this event, triggered by John being arrested, chooses wisely to withdraw, get out of the limelight because his time has not yet come. He's waiting to the right time to fully be revealed. But Matthew says, don't miss the deeper meaning, the deeper importance of that movement. And how does he say that? Matthew does it by quoting from the prophet Isaiah chapter 9, which we also heard. He quotes, he says, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 9, which we read, which talks about this land, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are strange names. Those are, those are two of the tribes of Israel, two of the 12 tribes that were apportioned land. And that region, that land, was taken into captivity by Assyria, big, big bully neighbor to the north. And the prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, 
had foretold that that would happen, that Israel, and especially that northern part of Israel, would be taken into captivity by Assyria. And then he gives this prophecy. He says, yes, that land is in disrepute. That land has shame upon it because it has been judged and cast out because of their sin and their wickedness. But guess what? That never gets the last word. The judgment of the sin of the people will never get the last word. And so Isaiah begins to paint this picture of redemption. He's saying there will come a day when this dark and shameful land will see a light begin to shine, will be restored, will have its beauty brought back to it. And it goes on to say, for us, right, the, one of the famous passages that gets quoted at Christmas time, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Many of you probably hear the music from the Messiah going through your head if you're all familiar with that piece of music. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What is this language? Well, this is messianic language. The Isaiah is saying, there will come a ruler and a king that will be born, and he will cast out the darkness. He will cause light and beauty and redemption to shine in this land once again. And eventually that happens. Eventually, all of God's people taken into exile, eventually, hundreds of years later, some of them do come back. They come back from Babylon, from the southern groups, but they are able to come back to the land and rebuild the temple and begin again in the times leading up to Jesus. But, as is often the case with Old Testament prophecy, there's often a, a near fulfillment, something that happens in the nearer future that fulfills it in some ways, but never entirely. It's like, really, that's it? You know, they come back, they rebuild a temple, but the old men are crying because the temple isn't as beautiful as the one before. That's the light shining? Is that all we get? And so the, the people of Israel this time, they felt that gap. It's like, it sort of happened and it sort of didn't. And so they continued to wait and build up this expectation that a Messiah would come. That if we just wait for the Messiah to come, he will make everything right. He will overthrow our oppressors. At the time of Jesus, the Roman government, they believed this heightened sense that a Messiah would come and throw off the Roman government and set them free. And what is Matthew saying? He's saying at the beginning of this passage, everything you read next about fish and about teaching and about this strange Jewish rabbi walking by the sea, don't miss the point. Messiah is here. The light is shining. That thing that sort of happened when God's people came back from their captors, now here's the, the, full, the full meal deal, the full package is now among us. That's what Matthew is declaring when he quotes this passage from the book of Isaiah. And so that first section, if we could come up with one word to summarize it, it's Messiah, right? How and why do these disciples fishing on the sea respond in this dramatic way? Well, it's because 
their eyes are open to the fact that this strange Jewish teacher calling them to follow him has this messianic aura around him, that the things he does and the things he says ring with this that existed all throughout the time, that the Messiah would come. He is the Messiah. Now what? We get to the next section. We get to verse 18, or sorry, verse 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's exactly the same thing that John the Baptist was teaching when he was baptizing people. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus continues that message. He continues that teaching. And then we come to verse 18. With this messianic message ringing in our ears from verse 12 and following, we now say, and while Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, not after some consideration, not, you know, not after some debate, but immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now again, I've always thought this was really weird very bizarre. Why would you? Well, there's a couple things we can realize. Number one, this is not the first time that Jesus and Simon Peter and some of these other figures have met. They've met before. We read about it not in Matthew's gospel, but we read about it in the gospel of John, where it says Simon Peter and another disciple were with John the Baptist. They had already been hearing the teachings of John the Baptist. They had been with him. They had seen him baptizing. And they are there when Jesus walks by. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Simon, Peter, and this other disciple, they, they follow him and they say, Who is this guy? And we read about two others, Nathaniel and Philip. I don't know why it's doing that, but can you hear okay? All right, we'll keep going. Um, they also are interested and, and, and begin to see that Jesus has this messianic feeling about him, okay? And so this is not the first time they've met, but now Jesus finds them again on the Sea of Galilee in their own home turf and calls them. But again, more happens here than just Matthew reports. We have a very similar telling of this same event in Luke chapter 5. And that's where, many of you may be familiar with the story, Jesus says, hey guys, did you catch anything? That's the perennial fisherman question, right? Anytime fishermen meet, they're like, hey, how's the, how are the fish biting? Did you catch anything? Jesus throws that out to them. What you got? What is a good kind of interactive Jewish community? They're always, you know, asking questions and chatting. What kind of fish have you got? And they say, nothing. Nothing. We don't have anything. He's like, interesting. Okay. Why don't you throw your net over there? And what does Simon Peter says? He's like, dude, we've been fishing all night long, and we don't have anything, but okay. All right. They throw the net on the other side of the boat, and what happens? so many fish get caught up in their net that it begins to like pull the boat over and the nets are beginning to break and they have to call all their family and friends to lift this net up into the boat. 
Jesus is a really good fisherman, right? He knows where the fish are biting. He knows where the fish are. He is the divine fish finder. He knows where they are. And he tells them. And what happens? Simon Peter and these others who have already encountered Jesus, already seen him, already noticed some of the strange messianic kind of things he's doing, now see him on their own home turf on the lake. And he enacts this incredible miracle where, where their efforts come to nothing and the word of Jesus overflows in abundance. And then he says, hey guys, follow me. And they do. Because they have encountered now the Messiah on their own home territory. And he has called them out by name. And he says, let's go. He's the Messiah. But what else does he give them in this section? Immediately they left, going on from there. These brothers, James and John, are also there and they follow. But what does he say? Not only is he the Messiah, but he gives them a mission. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He uses an image often from the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see many places where people are caught by hooks or caught by nets as if they are fish. And he says, now I'm going to turn it into an image of what? Restoration and salvation. He's doing through this fish miracle the exact same thing that Isaiah did right, with the prophecy, that this image of darkness, this image of judgment, this image of exile is now going to be turned on its head as the light of the Messiah shows up. He's enacting, as Jesus tends to do, he enacts in his words and his actions the very kingdom of God. And they see it, and they begin to recognize it, not fully, right, but in this very beginning way, and they respond, and they follow. And he gives them the same mission. And he says, I want to teach you boys something. You've been fishing all night in the dark, and you didn't catch anything. Well, that's because you, don't, you didn't have a light. Right? That if anyone's into night fishing, uh, one of the ways you do it is by using a light. Now, in this case, you use a green light. I don't know why. Fish like green light. Uh, it has to be a true green light, not like a sodium lamp or anything. But if you lower a, a true green light down to the water, or even above the water, the fish will start to gather and, and congregate, and you, you start catching them. Now, that's not how they did it in the Old Testament times, right? But that image is essentially what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you worked all night in the darkness by your own strength and efforts and caught nothing. Let me show you how to fish in the dark with the light. I was at a missions conference once. It was this massive con convention center. And the guy speaking up front, you know, I was way in the back, so he's just this tiny little dot. But he was talking about this kind of an image. He was talking about the light that shines in the darkness. And he had all of the lights in the entire convention center shut off. And it was pitch black. This massive cavernous space holding thousands and thousands of people, completely dark. And from the very front at his little pulpit, little podium, it was way up there, he just took a little dollar store candle and he lit it. And he shouted to the people in the back of the room. He's like, can you see this? And they said, yeah, we can see that. 
He's like this entire cavernous space of darkness. And all it takes is one dollar store candle of light to pierce through all of it. Sometimes when we are in the dark, spiritually, emotionally, in our lives, in our relationships, it feels so profoundly overwhelming. Darkness is real, and it's hard, and it's heavy. But the beauty of this image is that light always wins. If you take darkness and light and you put them together, the light wins every time. Even when it's a convention center against a tiny candle, the light wins. And that's essentially what Jesus is evoking here in this image, right? I'm the Messiah, and if I want you to catch fish, you're going to catch fish, right? But now he says, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. That as you, not through your own strength, not through your own efforts, but through the light of the gospel, proclaiming me as the light, as the Messiah, as you go out into the darkness, you're going to attract fish. They may not know why. They may not know how. But they come. Just like these disciples are doing with Jesus, they, they see the words that he speaks and the things that he does, and they're strange and they're mysterious and they don't understand them, and yet they can't walk away. They are captured and captivated by this man who calls them. And the beautiful thing is here that Jesus gives his disciples and through them to us gives this same mission. That as we go out into our places of life and family and work and education and wherever God has put us, There are times where it feels dark, and it is. It can be very spiritually dark at times, and that can be overwhelming. And yet Jesus says, you've got a light. Not everybody, but those whom God is calling to himself, they will see that light in you too as you reflect the Messiah. They may not understand what you're about. They may not understand everything you say or what you're doing. And even if they disagree sometimes with what you're saying and doing, and yet as they see the light of Christ reflected in you, they will be drawn and attracted, and and God will stir their hearts by his Spirit. That is the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of how Christ builds his kingdom. So why do these disciples, why do we follow after Christ? Because he's the Messiah because he gives us a mission, and lastly, because of the way he does ministry. And we see that in this last section, starting in verse 23. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. There are a couple things I want to draw out about Jesus' ministry here. First is that it is a profoundly integrated, holistic ministry. He is proclaiming the message and the truth of the gospel, And he is, through his actions, bringing the restoration, the healing of the gospel in very concrete, physical, reality ways. This is a huge part of the ministry that we do in Ethiopia. 
or we have community health team that's caring for some of the poorest neighborhoods of the city and those affected by HIV and tuberculosis and other chronic health issues. And yet, woven through that seamlessly, we are meeting with people, praying with people, sharing the scriptures with people, seeing people come to faith, helping people grow in their faith, planning churches. It's not a bait and switch. It's not a, you know, we have, we treat anyone. We don't care if you're a Christian or a Muslim or Orthodox or Protestant or animist or no faith at all. We treat every person the same. We give them the same care. We don't manipulate. We don't pressure. But we do enact the kinds of actions that Jesus did, right? That, that we say we follow a Christ. We follow a Messiah. We follow the Son of God who says that the kingdom of God is at hand and that there are things we must proclaim to you because that is true and there are things we must do for you and with you because that is true. Because he desires for souls and bodies, relationships and minds and everything in between to begin to reflect the restoration and the healing that is coming with the kingdom of God. And Jesus has that kind of a ministry. And as he does so, his fame spreads throughout all Syria, which probably the regions right above the land of Israel at this time. It doesn't mean the whole, the whole area, but, but the regions right above where, where he's at. And that people start bringing people from all these different areas. That's the second thing I want to draw attention to, is that crowds, even though his ministry is very much located in Galilee, very small area, testimony of his work begins to spread. And people are coming from all around the Gentile areas, the Jewish areas, the south, the north, beyond the Jordan, the other side of the river. People are coming and hearing and seeing what he's doing. His ministry is for all. Jesus had a very particular Jewish ministry, and we see that. He primarily ministers to Jews and in synagogues. And yet, even from the beginning in this passage in Matthew, which is a very Jewish kind of book, the way it talks and the images it uses, Matthew's also always drawing attention to Jesus' delight and love for the outsider. The, Syro, the, the, the woman in, in Matthew, she's called the Canaanite woman, right? He intentionally uses language that's provocative, inflammatory. She's a Canaanite woman. And, and, and Matthew shows how Jesus brings her from outsider to insider as a woman of faith. And we see the same thing happening here as people come from all these regions to see the Messiah at work. And then we see the way that Jesus brings healing and deliverance to those oppressed spiritually by demonic forces and those oppressed physically by sickness and disease and pain. Sometimes this is a criticism people have of the Bible. That, well, you know, they think epilepsy is caused by demons. So it's, it's like an ancient, archaic view of medicine. Um, I don't think that's what Matthew's doing here. I think he actually recognizes that there's some distinctions between physical illness and spiritual oppression. It's not something we think a lot about or wrestle with a lot in a more Western context, but <laughs> our life and ministry in Ethiopia looks a lot like this. People will come, and they'll start having some kind of bodily manifestation, and you begin this discernment process. You know, is, is this medical? Is this psychological? Is this spiritual? Sometimes it's a mixture, but it takes discernment. We have doctors that look at them and say, yeah, it, it looks like this neurological thing, but when I do all the neurological tests on them, 
they don't react the way you're supposed to react if you have that issue. And so these doctors, who are also spiritually attuned, will come to us and say, I tested this person for neurological disorders. I think this is spiritual. I think there's something going on where there's a spiritual involvement. And so we'll begin to pray and, and fast and, and pray over the people. And so we see people in this messy, I can't you know, delineate every single thing, but in this messy business where people's bodies and minds and souls are all engaged both with the divine, you know, both with God and his presence, as well as forces of evil, forces of wickedness that can affect all those dimensions of what it means to be human. We labor together to see people healed and delivered from all of those kinds of brokenness. So we see the ministry of Jesus. Now, as we close, what do we do with all that? Jesus the Messiah, Jesus giving us mission, Jesus giving us ministry. Well, for one, it shows us how it is that Jesus walks by the lake and shouts at these fishermen and they get out of the boat. Um, Is that we begin to recognize what Matthew is saying how compelling, how beautiful, how dramatic it is when the Messiah shows up on your lakeshore and says, let's go. And so for each of us here this morning, that same challenge comes to us. Jesus the Messiah is up in your business. He's on the lakeshore. He's ringing your doorbell. He's coming to find you. He is a fisher of men. And he is the divine fish finder. And he will find you. Wherever you are in your journey, your spiritual relationship, your faith, if you are a follower of Jesus for many, many years, he is right there with you. And the light of the Messiah is shining, overcoming all darkness. And he's calling you to a mission and a ministry that matters, that is beautiful, that is integrated, that is holistic, that is right where you are right with the people around you, that you would reflect his light, that you would shine and reflect like a mirror the light of the Messiah in a way that draws fish, usually in ways they don't even know. But just like those fish attracted to that green light, they just see something that evokes a deep spiritual longing. They can't quite let it go. God is delighted to do that. Or if you haven't followed Christ for a long time, if you're beginning in that journey or you're exploring or you you don't know what you think about faith or relationship with Christ, uh, but maybe you feel some of those same longings stirred, a light or an image or a picture that you just can't shake, that is God calling after you. And I invite you to talk with me, talk with anybody in this church about what that might mean that God is working and stirring in your heart and drawing you to believe in him, to have faith in him, to believe that he is who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, who brings healing and restoration and forgiveness for all sin and all brokenness. He is the light that shines in the darkness. So whatever darkness you face, in you, around you, uh, physical health, mental health, spiritual health, depression, discouragement, illness, disappointment, spiritual oppression, whatever, whatever you face today, never forget that the light of Jesus the Messiah is greater. And he is always with you and he will always come after you.
because he is the ultimate fisher of men that leads us in also reflecting his light and being fishers of men. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you for your word, your truth. God, each of us here, wherever we are today, this morning, spiritually, emotionally, physically, we bring it to you. We ask that your good and true word, that the work of your spirit would move and, and, and touch us, that your healing, your restoration, your redemption would again work in our lives, that we would find hope in you, that it would lead us to follow you with all that we have and all that we have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.